Hey everybody, Caleb here. Just wanted to give you guys a quick shout out before we got into the episode and thank you for the amazing response that we've gotten to our first episode. If you haven't got a chance to listen to the first episode, it's podcasting with Rob Lambert, who happens to co-host a show with our current guest, Drew, called You, Me, and He. Check it out on wherever you want to find your podcast and uh, check it out whenever you're downloading Nerds About. I also want to thank all everybody who left five-star reviews on Apple. It really does help the show out. So whenever you listen to this, be sure you pop over to Apple and leave us a five-star review, and then come talk to us on Facebook or on Twitter, at Nerds About. Thanks, guys, and I hope you enjoy being Nerds About Drumming with Drew. Hello, and thanks for listening to Nerds About, a podcast where we interview a different subject matter expert every week and take a deep dive on different things. This week, we're going to be Nerds About Drumming with Drew Carroll. Drew, thanks for being on, man. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, man, I'm really excited to get into this episode. It's... Uh, Drew has always been a uh, hero of mine in drumming because uh, I do drum very poorly a little bit too myself. So, <laughs> Drew, let's get into this. What qualifies you as a subject matter expert on drumming? <laughs> I like Rob's response, you know, about being an expert is just knowing a little bit more than the, you know, the person behind you. Yeah. Uh, so that is that, that was a pretty interesting thing. Um, I've just been doing it for a long time, man. And it's something that I've always been interested in. It's an interest that has never left me ever since I took it on. You know, mm -hmm. sometimes you have hobbies that come in and out and they, you know, you do it for a couple of years and then you don't Can't do get it out anymore. of it. Yeah. yeah. And with drumming, it's just always been, you know, maybe I've taken little breaks here and there for a couple of weeks or something, but it's still always been something that is always on my mind always something you know that i'm thinking about always you know if you look at my social media on my instagram i have two things i have a whole bunch of tattoo stuff and a whole bunch of drum stuff and yeah that's what floods my instagram page mm -hmm. you know so that's, yeah, that's, that's what i'm saying what you all do. the time yeah yeah so <laughs> those those are i don't ever see updates from my friends because those are the two things that i'm getting flooded with constantly yeah <laughs> and so so you've drummed for a number of different bands at a number of different levels haven't you I have, yeah. I um, I've done garage bands all the way up to you know I've toured the country a few times with different bands. Um, I've been a part of bands. I've been a hired gun. You know, there's just a lot of different uh, avenues there for sure. So, so what's the difference? Just just as you're talking about it, what's the difference between saying that you've been part of the band versus just being a hired gun? Uh, <laughs> being a part of the band means that you may not get paid. <laughs> <laughs> So being a hired gun guarantees you that you're going to get money every night. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay, okay. And so uh, you said you were out touring. Who are who you touring with? What are some of these bands? Does anybody we'd know? Um, maybe, or we maybe can find? not. It, it probably depends on you know the type of music that you listen to. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, I started a band in 2010 with a buddy of mine named Mikey. Uh, that band is called Stitch Apart. Mm -hmm. And we toured in that band for, oh man, everything in that band moves so fast. From the time that we started writing, uh, I think we started touring maybe six months after, and we were already getting record label, you know, yeah. recognition. They wanted to do showcases with us, and I mean, it, everything just moved very, very quickly. Yeah. Um, I all I played in a band called Eva Love, and that one was one where I was actually I was a member of that band. I funny story, I joined that band while I was in Stitch Apart. Uh, we were going on tour together. Yeah. And Eva Love's drummer quit like two weeks before we left to go on the road. And so they hired me to play for them also. So I was playing two sets every night. Oh, my gosh. I had to be miserable. Oh, man. August in 
Nebraska, you know, <laughs> July in Nebraska, dude, it's hot. It's muggy. Yeah. Uh, my show clothes, I was having trouble keeping them clean of salt stains just because yeah. I mean, from head to toe and we all wore black, all black. Oh yeah. So I would just be covered. I would have black and oh, yeah. all these white lines everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then you're, you're probably the most physical person on stage as the drummer, right? By far. Yeah. There's no just sitting there at any point, you know? Uh, it was all, and, and both bands were very upbeat bands. Um, Evil Love was more of kind of like a pop punk. Um, yeah. And then, uh, Stitch Apart was kind of like a pop rock metal type deal, okay. you know? Okay. Um, so it was a little, they were a little bit different, but also kind of the same. Okay. So of those two, if you, if you're playing with those and there's a little bit of difference in the genres, what kind of genres do you prefer to play? Uh, I've always been a rock guy. Um, I just, there's something about, you know, I guess kind of the aggression in the music and, mm-hmm. you know, rock and metal has just always been something that I, I've been attracted to. Um, but that's for what I like to play. What I like to listen to oftentimes is very different, you know? So, um, I listen to a, lately, especially in the last year or so, maybe this comes with having a kid now, but uh-huh. I've listened to, a, I've been listening to a lot more, uh, you know, acoustic stuff, a lot more uh, folky kind of stuff. Um, you know, just. But I also still listen to the metal. Yeah, yeah. You still <laughs> you still listen to a little bit of everything. You're a little yeah. bit eclectic in that. So, you know, as you're playing these different genres, right? And, and you know, you talked about playing these, but have you played in these different genres, or are you mostly still just stick with your rock stuff? Um, I mean, I try to stick with what I enjoy and what I like the what most. What you're best at, yeah. But also, on the other hand. Uh, I've been put in situations where I've I've been forced to play other genres that maybe I'm not as comfortable with. Uh-huh. Uh, example, when I went to Musicians Institute in Hollywood, yeah. um, they have a deal there, and it's called Live Performance Workshop, LPW. And everybody in the school has to participate in these LPWs. And what they do is they have all these different genres, and every mm-hmm. day of the week um, you they, they have what's called a song of the week for each genre. Okay. And you sign up for one of these. You're you have to do at least one a week, and so it could be country, it could be jazz, it could be funk, it could be reggae, rock, metal, yeah, classic rock. They have all these different things, and so you would learn this song on your own, mm-hmm. and then you show up in this room, and then when they call your name, it's time for you to go up. Now the thing is, you don't know anyone that you're playing with. You've never met these people before. The first time you're meeting is playing with them on the stage in front of this room full of people. Wow. Yeah. So you just have to all hope that you practice the same. Yeah. Yeah. At the very least, man, just know your part so you can say it wasn't yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So and, that sounds like a really interesting experiment. Like, was there any, any things that came out of that for you or was it just a, uh, uh, hanging out or did you meet anybody there with who you kind of pursued band stuff with later? Um, I played a little bit with guys while I was there. Um, but I, I wasn't actually in any bands while I was there. I was just kind of focused on school and, uh-huh. you know, just trying to not get caught up in stuff in Los Angeles and just be, yeah, you know, focused on that. Um, but that school actually is what led me down the road later on to form Stitch Apart. After I had already moved back to the Central Valley, uh-huh. um, I got back in contact with some people that I had auditioned for mm-hmm. right before I moved home. And they wanted me to play for them, and then I was like, at the audition, I was like, well, sorry, guys. I already decided that I'm moving back up to the Central Valley. 
And they're like, well, what the heck? But the reason why I did is because I had two friends that were auditioning with me who were guitar players. Yeah. And they ended up getting the gig, but they ended up forming another band that kind of took off a little bit for a little while. It's kind of a, uh-huh. they were kind of a niche market, so it was a little bit tougher for them. Um, but anyways, long story short, I wound up going back down to Los Angeles and then that's where Stitch Up Heart came about. And Yeah. So, yeah, and so with Stitched Up Heart, they're still actually... Uh, they're still active. They're still active, and there's actually still a music video with you in it uh, on YouTube, isn't there? Yes, and that one, my wife told me other, the other day, I think it's sitting right around like 1.4 million views or something. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. You know, but, to be yeah. a part of something like that. Now, if it's you cool. go down and read the comments, <laughs> those aren't all that exciting. <laughs> oh, my, everybody knows that the YouTube comment section is just like... It's the most likely of the internet. Oh yeah, dude, we've been called everything under the sun. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it, it, it had something to do with the guy liner, didn't it? That played a part. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so with these different brands you're talking about, you know, there's there's uh, to me as I look back at music history, there's certain people who are, uh, you know, there's certain times where it's like, oh yeah, there's the drummer, and there's other times where you have bands like Rush or Genesis where. You know, Phil Collins and Neil Peart were some of the main songwriters and, and lyrics and all that stuff. So how Absolutely. much was your contribution to the songwriting as much as, was it just the, hey, here's the drum part that'll go with what we're doing musically, or is it you were involved lyrically? Good question. Uh, so just, so Stitch Apart, when that band started, uh, actually Mikey and I were playing in another band at the time called Never Like the Movies. Mm-hmm. We never played a show. Uh, we started recording. Our first song that recorded, it sounded awesome, man. The girl that was singing, she sounded incredible. But for whatever reason, every song after that, she just didn't sound that good. Uh, I don't think that she was putting in a lot of effort. You know, um, Her dad was kind of a rich guy. He was funding everything. And I think yeah. that was kind of part of it, you know, where yeah. uh, she wasn't as hungry as we were because we didn't come from that. You know, uh-huh. we're doing this on our own. You're doing it for a passion for the music, not as a... Absolutely, absolutely. So we started writing music for that project, and the first time that Mikey and I were in a room together, I was playing this drum beat. And he goes, man, I kind of like that. And I go, yeah, it's something I've been been fooling around with. Mm -hmm. And so then he started writing guitar parts to it. Mm -hmm. So actually, the very first song that we ever wrote together came off of what I was doing. Yeah. And then he added on to that. And then... Everything after that, him and I wrote together, everything. Yeah. And it was when we were in the studio, him and I recorded everything. Uh, no other musicians in those bands helped us record anything. Some of them, they just weren't strong enough players. You yeah. Know? And so, so what's kind of the difference between you? You talk about going on these live shows, and it sounds like you know if you and Mikey were doing everything in the studio. And then, you know, you're going on this live show and obviously you have all these different people. So what's the difference kind of between the live show and the studio? Uh, the live show is a little bit more forgiving. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as a guy doing sound, you can adjust things to kind yeah. of maybe move somebody down a little bit and make somebody Cover else a little bit parts, more predominant. play tracks over. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. We had guys in the band. We had one guy in the band who was not a good guitar player, but he was a phenomenal showman. Yeah. I mean, it just... But the things that he was doing, you're like, there's no way you're hitting the right notes. There's no way yeah. that that sounds good, you know, but it looks good. And so that was kind of like the compromise there was like, uh, okay, so you're never going to play in the studio. Uh-huh. <laughs> you're never going to be on these records. But, yeah, you can play You can play with us. Okay. And he, you know, 
they yeah they just m- most of them never really had much to add i think when you're getting in the writing situation too people kind of uh tend to tense up and they don't want to throw their ideas out there because they're afraid it's going to get shot down. Yeah. And I gave up those fears a long time ago. Yeah. Just kind of, just kind of have to, yeah, if you don't like it, that's fine. We'll just move on. Yeah. Not a big deal. I don't take it personally. You know, Uh, I've never really been that kind of artist where it's like, Oh, you don't like my idea. Well now I'm offended. Yeah. It doesn't bother me. But the difference between the two is the studio. You're putting everything under a microscope, you know? Uh So you're isolating parts. Like, when we would record records, I would record first. And okay. so what they would do is, well, for the, I'll give you an example for the last record with Evelove. Um, we recorded in Clear Lake studios. It was amazing, dude. So awesome. Yeah. I mean, that's where no doubt recorded tragic kingdom. It was just such a cool okay. experience, yeah. man. And so we're in this room and we recorded everything live on two inch tape. And that was also super rad. Yeah. It was just such a cool experience to do that. And so, well, I should say we tracked drums there live and then mm-hmm. they retract, you know, guitars and everything later on. Yeah. Um, but when you're in that situation, all you're doing is they take away all the music and they're just listening to the drums. And then they go, okay, something sounds weird. Isolate something. And then now all of a sudden all you have is maybe your snare. Okay. And they're like, oh, you hear what you're hitting right here, and you're like, oh, I never even knew I was doing that. Yeah. You know? And so it just kind of brings up these things in your playing that you maybe didn't recognize that you were doing all the time. Example, tapping your left foot. Lots of drummers do it to keep time. Yeah. The problem is, is it can make your hi-hat washy, right? So it gives it kind of a uh, opening-closing sound yeah. when it's when... just supposed to be tight. Yeah. And so those are kind of things that uh, over the years I've had to work on you know, mm-hmm. breaking down. Actually, at one point when I was at MI, they had one of my instructors uh, tied a rope around my leg and then put a weight on the bottom of it. So to, that you literally could So that I would not yeah. bounce my leg up. So, you know, uh, those are the types of things. In a live setting, you know, most people don't notice those types of things and it kind of goes yeah. unnoticed. But once you get into recording, you're really going to find out if people can play or not. Yeah. <laughs> so so what did you generally prefer? I mean, I'm assuming like a studio, I would have, I would, my guess would just be that a studio being under a microscope and it being so critical would be, could be a thing, but also like the, Oh, Hey, improving my craft and, and being in this or the energy of a live show compared to, uh, man, you know what? They're both such different experiences and they're both so equally incredible. Um, watching a song come alive from nothing, you know, uh, building it up, you know, and watching it grow from drums and then laying down the bass tracks, and then you start putting in the melodies with guitars, uh-huh. you know, and then you start filling it with orchestration and all this different stuff, and you go, holy crap. Yeah. I had no idea this song had so much potential, and it sounds way better than what we were writing in the garage or the practice space or, yeah. you know, wherever we are. Um, and so there's that kind of feeling where you go, man, I think this is going to be the song that does it for us. You know, uh-huh. this is the one. and. And that's such a cool feeling. But then on the flip side, man, you can't really beat a live show either. You know, just the energy in the room. When you see people singing the songs that you wrote, you know, it's just like, it's just crazy, dude. It's crazy. I've never experienced anything quite like it. You know, Um, I'm not going to say it's the best feeling in the world. Marrying my wife, you know, and having my child was, I think, probably the two top. But man, 
playing live shows was right there. <laughs> so, with, with all the live shows you played, did you always did you prefer a smaller gig, or would you like uh, did you like playing your bigger gigs? Was it nice intimate crowd, or uh, you know what, man? I've seen both. So one time we played in Provo, Utah, and we played at this venue that was just run down. It was basically just four walls. The stage was maybe six inches high. Yeah. It was basically on the ground. It was hot, uh-huh. uh, muggy. There wasn't hardly anybody there because the promoters did a terrible idea. <laughs> they did it. They, I mean, they did a terrible job, you know, doing this stuff. And so, uh, I, I think we had maybe ten people at that show. Yeah, maybe ten. But you know what, dude? They were all so pumped and so energetic and yeah. so happy. I mean, I've never seen ten people be that excited. You know, usually it. It comes with the crowd, you know, and the crowd yeah. kind of everybody together. follows the thing of the crowd, but yeah, with but it. and one of those people they didn't even go to the show because they knew it was us. They were just walking by and decided to come in, you know. And it was like that's a show that I'm never gonna forget. Yeah, one because it's one of the smallest shows I've ever played. Not the smallest, but one of the smallest. <laughs> <laughs> the smallest show I ever played, I think, was with Rob and Josh back in the day. But for for like for your mom and dad. Uh, we had, we had a couple interesting shows when we were in that band, but you know, uh, it, it was still, it didn't feel like a waste of time. Mm-hmm. You know, it, I still felt like, man, even with all the setup and everything that we had to do, it was still one of those things where it was like, man, everybody here had a great time. Yeah. And we made lifelong fans of these people because they're like, wow, what are you guys even doing here? Yeah. You guys are way better than this. You shouldn't even be here. And it's like, well, you know, we're paying our dues. We're doing what we got to do. Yeah. And people like seeing that kind of stuff, you know, instead of the oh, complaining yeah. of like, oh, there's only 10 people here. We're just going to move on. And it's like, no, you know, there's 10 people here. Let's give them what they came for. Yeah. I almost feel like the you said there was a guy who just like walked by and found it and was just immediately ready to rock. That guy. Yeah. Did, that guy deserves way more credit. Dude, for- it, it was amazing, man. It, it was it actually we were bummed out starting out but then it was just kind of like you know what man let's just have a good time mm-hmm. you know let's have fun let's be crazy let's do what we normally do and those 10 people loved it man yeah yeah that would be it that would be a really interesting thing so you know you're talking about all these different places you've been you're talking about some of the crazy things you've seen what some of the background stuff you know there's the live show part of a tour but there's also the going all over the country what's some of the crazy tour stuff that you've had to deal with as a drummer uh so when i did the when I played for both bands on the one run, um, we didn't have any money. Uh, all of our money was coming in from – it was either a door deal, so we would get a percentage of whatever came at the door, which could be yeah. tough for an up-and-coming band when you're out in the Midwest and nobody really knows who you are yet. Yeah. Uh, oftentimes – most of the time we had guarantees, which that made everything way easier. Yeah. Um, the hard part was when we were on that run – we could not rent like a 15 passenger van or anything. Uh huh. So we didn't have enough money. So the good old suburban came into play. Oh my God. Nine people in a nine seater. Yeah. Now, and they weren't all small people. No. Uh, imagine that. Our, our bass player and our, and the guitar player in Evelove were kind of bigger guys at the time. Uh huh. And it just made it very compact. Also on that run, which I did not know, uh, I was kind of sick in the beginning and I just kept putting it off and putting it off because I didn't have health insurance Yeah, and I also didn't have any money. So I was trying to avoid the doctor. Eventually they made me go on week number seven out of eight weeks and it turned out I had bronchitis and 
she was like, you're about a day away from pneumonia. So it's a good thing that you came in. Yeah. Uh, so that was, that made things very interesting too. Um, we made a little bed like in the back back and we kind of stacked stuff up so that I could lay down in the fetal position. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. While you're driving. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was, it was an interesting dynamic having that many people crammed into that small of a space. I mean, you're talking sometimes, man, 10, 12 hour drive. Yeah. You know, and it would get brutal for sure. Um, but luckily, and in that suburban, Oh my gosh, that's, that thing has seen some, (laughs) <laughs> yes seen some interesting times for sure oh yeah <laughs> is that the same suburban that we took to uh uh feud that year yes oh <laughs> <laughs> i think it was ancient then <laughs> yeah oh my gosh yeah so you know you're touring you're talking about playing with these different bands how many different bands did you you know you talked about never love the movies stitched up heart ever love um if you guys haven't picked up already drew also is uh on a podcast called You, Me, and He with Rob, our first guest. Mm-hmm. Um, he was in a band with them that went through about 18 different names, but it's still just one band. Yes, yes. Constant constant change of name. <laughs> Keep people on their toes. Exactly. <laughs> but how many different bands were you actually in? Oh, man. If I go back and... Oh, I don't know, man. Probably 15 to 20. Uh, not all of them were bands that uh, put out a record. Not all of them uh-huh. were bands that played a lot of shows before they broke up yeah Uh, some of them were short-lived um but i've i've written songs with people that uh maybe they wound up starting a band and then that song got transferred to that band Uh you know i remember uh going back to the mi days um so there was a band called vampires everywhere and they started from it was two guys that i was playing with previously well me and this other guy we wrote this song together while we were down there and then when i moved back one of my buddy texted me and he goes hey man did you uh check out aaron's aaron's new band and i went and i watched the music video and i'm like i know those riffs (laughs) yeah i helped write those riffs (laughs) you know like him and i did that together now the thing about uh musical ownership when it comes down to it though is drums aren't actually considered a writing instrument Okay. So when you get into the legalities of it, so you never got any writing credit for any of that. No, no, uh, because I didn't write the guitar parts. He wrote the guitar parts, even though I might be sitting here going, "Hey, try going down, you know, yeah, a step or so, and we'll see what that sounds." Or try playing it higher, or try playing it lower, or, yeah, you know, maybe instead of doing this, try going like this. And so there's a lot of input that's in there, mm-hmm. you know, coming from my perspective, but I'm still technically not the writer, so. Um, now in the band setting, like in stitch apart, Eva love, uh, well, actually in Eva love, we did everything 20%. There was five members. So everybody got 20%, um, which was cool, you know, because everyone's still putting in equal work. Yeah. You know, um, I would never play in a band with somebody who would not be willing to split writing credits otherwise. Yeah. You know, um, so that's something to always look out for you know, on the business uh-huh. end of things when you're getting into this stuff. Make sure that you're playing with people who are going to treat you fairly and not just use you for their own personal gain. Yeah. You know? Yeah, for sure. So kind of looking back at just like your your drumming in general, you're talking about in the studio that you base, you know, you run the drums first on your studio and everything else mm-hmm. kind of builds off of that. But 
so realistically, like the drums are the base of all the music that you're doing. Is there any other instrument that kind of affects you most as you're thinking about how you're going into to that, or are you uh, just all about being on time and and? Um, not usually I'm listening to guitars for cues. Okay. Um, you know, and then bass kind of just locks in with drums, and then I'm listening to guitars and what what are they doing melodically? What are they doing? You know, maybe there's a hit that's on the upbeat instead of on the downbeat. You know, mm-hmm. things like that. You want to listen for all of these uh, all these different things that they might be doing that might give you an opportunity to put something cool and exciting in there to match that. Yeah. You know, um, so I, I really listen. That's why things worked out really well when Mikey and I were writing together. You know, we just – we both had the same goals. We both had uh, – we wanted the same kind of sound, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, our minds were just – very on the same page you know yeah and it made it so easy to write music because it was like you know th- like i going back to before there was no pride in it as far as like oh you didn't like my idea so you know screw you yeah it was nothing like that it was just like you know we want the best sound that we can have and he's such a phenomenal guitar player i mean probably the best guitar player i've ever played with okay. um just on a whim he could give you 12 different guitar parts for yeah. the same song, you know, and they all sound amazing. And then you have to pick which one you like the best, which is the hardest part because you're like, they're all good. Yeah. You know, there was times where we would track songs where there was so much melody just in the guitars where I was like, dude, maybe what if we didn't have a vocalist? You know, what if uh-huh. we just did it without it? Because there's so much melody there and it's so catchy already. But, you know, obviously, yeah, <laughs> that wouldn't sell anything. So we go with the vocalist every time and deal with that. But um, he was just such a such an easy guitarist to work with, man, because he he was just so well versed in all these different things. And um, so that's that's who I would listen to the most when I yeah. was looking for my own parts. Is what are you doing, and then how can I best complement what you're playing? Yeah. So you know, you talk about cueing off of the. Uh off the guitar and, and you kind of got a little bit at, at hinting at you know oh yeah we still got to deal with vocalists in there is there kind of the what what are kind of the the general stereotypes that uh ring a little <laughs> bit more true to you of oh yeah you know here's the bass player he's thinking a a a g g g you know yeah that so, type of thing uh generally the drummer is considered the non-musician which that bugs me to no end because it's like man we're using all our limbs yeah. You know, some guys are singing on top of that. You know, I know I know some drummers personally, one right here in town that are just phenomenal players uh-huh. and just such well-rounded individuals as, in terms of music. Um, bass players are kind of seen as like the, well, no one can really hear you that well anyway, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. We can have anyone there. Uh, your guitar players, you definitely want to be solid. Um, I mean, if you can, you want everyone to be a solid player. Yeah. <laughs> obviously um vocalists man throughout the years i've had ups and downs with vocalists you know you get some that are just super professional and you know they write good lyrics they write good melodies rob was one of those rob was Mm -hmm. phenomenal writer always has been um great vocalist you know just extremely talented guy yeah and it was just always such a pleasure to work with rob because and he was the first band that I was in. Yeah. So 
it set up a good precedent for what I wanted to look for in the future as far as So you kind of got members. spoiled right at the beginning, though. 100%, dude. I had no idea what was coming after that. And I went through, I went through different rounds, man. I played in a band uh, for a couple months uh, in Merced called In Flight Radio. Uh-huh. And it didn't work out very well. We played one show. It was for like an FCA thing in someone's backyard. <laughs> nice. It was interesting. He was not a good player. He was not a good singer, not a good writer. None of those things, man. It was just for me it was right after we had disbanded. Uh-huh. You know, with Rob and Josh, and I just needed to get into something. And so that's what I went into. And I'm glad I did because it kept things, it kept the wheels turning. You know, yeah. it wasn't the best situation, but it was a situation. Yeah, still something you could learn from. Absolutely. Absolutely. And every single one of these situations, you can learn something from, you know, and you just got to be smart. You got to take those lessons with you, you know, and just try to do better. Also, looking inward at yourself and saying, okay, what could I possibly be causing in this situation that is maybe not being so helpful? And I've had those situations too. I toured with a band called September Morning. Uh, they hired me for a three-week run, uh-huh. and I had two days to learn the music. And then we went into rehearsals, and we had three days of rehearsals, and which none of the live tracks were done, like the backing tracks; uh-huh. those weren't created yet. So we had three days to create all of these. We were running our own lighting system, so we had three days to set up our lighting system and get all of that synced in with our backing tracks. Oh, my gosh. Dude, uh, so me and this other guy, his name was Steve, we were working 20 hours a day for three days between rehearsals and getting all this stuff set up. Yeah. And then we went out on the road. First night, none of it worked. (laughs) Of course not. (laughs) Turns out that, uh, you know, the issue was with the, the sound system there. It wasn't Uh on our end, but that created like this whole thing, man. So that was a female singer. Also, for whatever reason, after I got in never like the movies, I was never able to break away from the female fronted band. That's yeah. just like what I always wound up in after that. The next three bands after that were all female fronted bands. And it was not something that I chose. It's just like what chose me. Yeah. These are the bands that kept coming after me and asking me to play, uh-huh. you know? And so the stuff with September morning after that happened, you know, when, when it wouldn't work, we were up on stage. I'm ready to go. Mm-hmm. I hear it in my ears. So I know that it's not on my end. Everything's coming through. Yeah. Everything's working and I can't figure out what's going on. So I tell him, I go, Hey, let's just play these songs without the tracks, without the lights. Let's just play the show. And she leans over the drums and she goes, we don't know the songs without the tracks. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I've only been in this for five days and I can do it. How can you guys not do it? Yeah. So we ended up compromising. We played two songs. We spent the other 20 minutes trying to figure out what was wrong. Yeah. And so we played two songs. We got off stage and then there's this huge blow up, right? No one's getting paid. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. We're getting paid. You know, we still showed up and did our job. That's not our fault. She's like, well, I gave the money back to the venue. And I'm like, well, I guess you're paying me out of your pocket then. Or I'm catching a bus home, (laughs) you know, and you're going to have to finish this on your own. So is, and she was just a terrible person. Uh huh. Really, really not nice. Um, and I don't think that I really helped that situation because I would kind of lash back. Yeah. Not in the most mature ways, 
you know, mm-hmm. because I just, at this point, after five days of dealing with that in rehearsals and all this other stuff, I just kind of didn't want to deal with it anymore. Yeah, you were probably just exhausted. I was very exhausted from it. And so th- that's one of those situations why I bring that up is because I could have handled it better for sure, you uh-huh. know, and I kept on saying, oh, this is your fault. You know, you're just being a terrible person, blah, 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 instead of looking inward and going, okay, maybe I could respond better. You know, maybe I can act a little bit better, even though I'm being attacked for something that I had no responsibility in whatsoever you know so you just take each one of those situations and go okay you know now that that's over what could i do to grow from that you know yeah and and i've learned a lot you know i i I think that the way that i i am in in a practice setting now and the way that i am in any kind of a musical setting i think is completely different now than it would have been 10 years ago uh-huh. You know, just because of all the things that I've learned and it's just not worth it to have those riffs and yeah. it makes it harder when you get up on stage when you don't like the people that you're playing with. I think about bands like the Eagles, right, where they all hate each other. Yeah. <laughs> but they still make it happen. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, that doesn't sound fun to me. <laughs> not at all. Like I want to be friends with the people that I'm playing with, but that's not always an option. Uh-huh. You know? And so that's something that I learned along the way too is but there's still a way to be civil with people, even though you guys don't get along. Yeah. You know, so there's. So so with all these different personalities and all these different bands and all these different levels of musicians, if you went back through all your different bands and you said, okay, I'm going to pull like one person from each. And you don't necessarily have to pull a person out of each band. But if you were going to make a super group with only one person out of each of your bands, other than the drummer, obviously. Uh, Dude, you know, I've al- I always would have been interested and I and. I still am actually. Uh, I would love to write music with Rob, Mikey, and my brother. Uh huh. You know, I think that would be such a cool dynamic. Rob with his vocals and lyrics, man, just absolutely great. Um, Mikey just being such a great guitar player, and my brother being such a solid rhythm player. Yeah. You know, he's always just been on point. And I think having those three guys, the unfortunate part is they're spread out across the United States Yeah. with Rob being in Utah, Mikey being in Florida. <laughs> so yeah. it makes it a little bit difficult to do something like that. Um, bass player, pick anyone, doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> so we know where bass players rank in your uh, favorite bands here. Well, I just... Well, I, okay, Billy, the guy that played bass in Evelope, he was a really solid bass player. And okay. he had such a great tone. He would use Orange Amp, and he had an endorsement from them. Yeah. And just just a solid, nice, heavy tone, you know? So, yeah, I'd and probably throw him in the contribute mix, Contribute that? Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I, I've often heard um, that a good bass player is somebody who can contribute something other than bass. Dude, if you can throw your own little melody in there, you know, um, but it still has to work with the music, right? So I've played with other bass players, too, who they would try and do their own melodic thing, but it didn't always flow. Uh And sometimes when you try to tell them something, they might get a little upset, you know, and and I get it. You don't want to just play the same thing all the time. Yeah. You know, you want to have your own kind of deal in there, but you kind of got to make it work with what we're doing here as a group. You know? Yeah. Um, and that's why I think like Billy would have been a good, a good person for that because he, he was just a well-versed musician. You know, he played uh-huh. piano too and you yeah, know, he just, Can, he had more to offer than, just, more to offer bass. than just bass player. Yeah. Yeah. I, I often hear people talk about, um, 
But Van Halen, they said that's why Michael Anthony was one of the best bass players is because he was a passable bass player and one of the best tenor backups <laughs> for, for David Lee Roth ever. It makes, it, it makes a huge difference. Yeah, man. and that was um, his value was backup vocals more than bass. Dude, I, I've seen guys. So uh, I have a buddy. His name's Brian Weaver. Um, he actually played bass on Paramore's Riot album. Uh-huh. Uh, he wasn't in the band. He lived in Tennessee at the time, and they he got a phone call from a buddy who owns a studio he goes hey man the bass player's not really cutting it can you come down and lay down some bass tracks yeah he had no idea who the band was goes down there lays down the bass tracks turns out to be a platinum album and so now he's got a platinum album under his belt from just a whim yeah. of a day you know so fast forward shine down okay uh-huh. they lose two members of their band uh drugs things like that yeah so they're holding auditions. So he goes and he auditions for Shinedown. And they loved him. Like, you're a great guy. You're a great bass player. You know, can you sing? And then that was the deciding factor. He could not sing. So they ended up going with somebody else. Wow. You know, but it's just like one of those things where it's like, you might fit in every way possible. But if you don't offer that one other thing, you know. Yeah. And that's why, you know, being in the music industry it would have been a better idea for me to try and expand a little bit more, maybe try and learn how to sing or maybe huh. uh, learn how to play piano or something to where I had more to offer than just being a drummer. Yeah. You know, but I felt like I was busy enough at the time uh-huh. where, and I was never auditioning for other bands. Usually I was yeah. always in a band and we yeah. were trying to make it together. But if you're going to be out auditioning for bands, be as well versed as you can in many different avenues, you know, mm-hmm. And that's why guys like uh you know Michael Cheatham here in town yeah. he's just such a phenomenal musician man he's a great drummer he can play guitar he can play piano he can yeah. sing you know and he's he's just such a a threat when it comes to music man yeah. he's just it's just an unstoppable Name it musically force. and he can do you know get a passable job done absolutely yeah. absolutely so things like that man I think are are very important um I wish that I would have put more focus on other instruments which i've tried to do later on but it's only for myself you know yeah. i'm not trying to do this anymore yeah so um but so, to anyone who's trying to that's what i would say is just dive in as deep as you can and just get as much experience as you can good experience bad experience take it all learn from it all you know um it'll make a difference for yeah. sure yeah, so so to that young person who, you know, looking to getting into to drumming and music industry, is that your biggest thing that you tell them is just, hey, jump into all of it, be able to experience Absolutely. all of it? Absolutely. You know, try and learn as much as you can. Uh, when you're recording, don't just sit back. I, I've watched guys who will sleep on the couch when it's not their turn. And I'm always at the board next to the engineer like, what does that do? Mm-hmm. What does that do? What does that do? You know, or, hey, maybe let's try this. Let's try this. You know, always trying to be a part of it while not stepping on other people's toes, you know, um, letting them yeah. do their job, but also still trying to learn what they're doing, you know, mm-hmm. because then that opens the door for, if you know how to play guitar and you know how to, uh, play piano, but you're also a phenomenal drummer and you're a pretty decent singer. I mean, you can start getting into producing, Yeah. you know, rather than you don't just have to be on the other side of the window, Yeah. you know, in the live room, you can also be, you know, producing other bands. And I, I've, I've had a lot of friends in Los Angeles who did that. They, they've played with big bands, but through that recognition, they've taken it and gone on the production side, Yeah, you know, so that when they're not out on the road, they're back home producing other bands, you know, and it's just, all it does is just 
thicken your wallet. Thick, yeah. You know, and I think that's what everybody's goal is when you're in that industry is try and make money, try and make a name for yourself. And the best way to do that is to broaden your horizons, uh-huh. you know, and just get as much experience as you possibly can. And don't be a douche. You know, that's like the yeah. biggest thing. If you're going to be out on the road for two months with somebody, don't be an a-hole. You know, yeah. you guys, you guys are in tight quarters all the time. You're spending all your time. Think about it. When you're a little kid and someone comes over to your house and spends the night and then it's all fun. And then they're like, oh, let, you know, can they spend the night again? And then that second night you're like, dude, I'm really ready for Tommy to go home. Exactly. You know, yeah. you don't want that feeling when you're on the road and you're only six shows in out of 30 shows. Yeah. And you're like, okay, I'm really not, I don't want to spend any more time with this guy. And I've been in those situations, man. Like when I toured with September morning, the bass player in the band at the time, he was addicted to cocaine and we were stopping every 45 minutes for him to quote unquote, go to the bathroom, you know? Yeah. And he was just, just a, he just didn't care about the group. Yeah. You know? And those are things like you have to think about the people around you, you know, and you want it to go as good as it possibly can. So don't uh-huh. be the one who throws a wrench in it. Yeah. You know, try and be the one who is cool with everyone. Now don't get walked on either, you know, yeah. but There's still, yeah, you want to keep peace. You know, and and that's what I would always try and do. And oftentimes I was kind of looked at the one taking sides and it's like, no, I'm not taking sides. You know, I just want everyone to. (laughs) How can I calm everybody down? We're in Alabama right now. We're so far from home. Yeah. You know, I've had we've had uh, when I was in Stitch Up Heart, we had a bass player when we were in um, Louisiana. One night just flew home to Connecticut and text us the next day. And he was like, I quit. I'm back home in Connecticut. And we're like, okay. <laughs> Had no idea. We were wondering where you were at, you know? Yeah. And so you you get those people, man. But, um, you know, just don't let it be you. Yeah. Don't be that guy. Don't be that guy. So I do want to get to one last thing here with you because you mentioned a little bit earlier how much a role – so for those of you who don't know, my uh, full-time job is uh, I, I work at a, a, an organization as a production director. I do a lot with sound and stuff like that. So uh, from, a, from a personal perspective, I want to know, once you get to that level in the music industry, how much does your sound guy play a part as a band member or as what's going in? Uh, sound guy's huge. Um, it, it can change everything. I've seen bands live that should have sounded amazing. Mm-hmm. And sounded absolutely terrible. You know, they have the songs. The songs are good. They're playing fine. But the sound is off. You know, backing tracks are just way too high and the music's too low. You know, or vice versa. Mm-hmm. You know, the music's super high, but you can't hear any of the melodies or anything that's in the tracks or, you know, any of the orchestration or things like that. You know, so a sound guy realistically could make you or break you as long as you already have you know, kind of the raw elements. Yeah. The sound guy could either boost that or destroy it, you know? So having a good sound guy is important. Having a sound guy that cares about you and listens to what it is that you're wanting. You know, Uh I've always liked the sound guys who, when you show up, they go, okay, what do you need? You're like, Oh, cool. You know, wow. This night's going to be easy. Uh (laughs) You know, we have somebody that's asking what we want instead of, telling us what we're going to get yeah oh yeah for sure i mean that's that's 
and for those of you who didn't catch that, that was a hey, Drew struck my ego for a little bit here. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's truth, man. I mean, I I've I've dealt with bad sound guys, and I've dealt with good sound guys, and I've yeah. dealt with great sound guys, you know. And so, it 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 can really change the way that the show goes. It can change yeah. the, the type of night that you have as a band for sure. Yeah, and definitely the sound guys I have under me. That's one of the first things that I always train them is hey. Ask the band what they need. Make the band as comfortable as possible. Because in my my opinion, not that not that I've reached any great level in this, but my opinion, the more comfortable the band is, the better they're going to play, the better sound they're going to give you to then recreate your mix on top of that. So. Absolutely, absolutely, man. That that is definitely definitely true. Yeah. Well, Drew, thank you for joining us. Thank you for being a nerd about drums with us. It was been a blast. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. All right, man. Thank you for joining us and being nerds about drumming. <laughs>